This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Well, most of it is, anyway. I gotta say, prolonged semi isolation can do strange things to a grown man. Table tip. You're gonna miss me when I'm gone. Anyway, okay, listen. If I'm reading the newspaper right, but roll over and tap. It seems the uh, corporate bond market basically collapsed. Another victim of the corona catastrophe. Miss me when I'm But then the Fed stepped in when I'm gone. With life support. And now, minus a dash, uh, perhaps a swimming pool of moral hazard, everything is okay. Right? At least on Wall Street. But you got to wonder. There's got to be a limit. Right? I mean... There's just so much people are willing to do to prop up private industry, which makes this podcast episode that much more interesting, because this ticker podcast is all about debt IR. And because the owners of the $8 trillion worth of corporate debt are suddenly much bigger players in the corporate structure. In fact, central banks stim and an impending economic winter have made bonds U.S. companies' single most important source of financing. Surprise, debt is king. Now, don't you wish you'd been paying just a little more attention to your bondholders? Because, as it turns out, your bondholders wish you had... Bobby Winters is co-general manager at investor relations consultant Alpha IR. He's a Wall Street veteran and he's run fixed income money. And he spent a fair bit of time mingling with the owners and operators of those sorts of investments. A couple of years ago, a Alpha IR investigation uncovered widespread disappointment among debt investors with the communication they got from companies. In a word, they felt ignored. Now, my old psychology prof taught us that the silent treatment elicits a range of pathological disorders, with emotional trauma often manifesting in the destruction of relationships. On this sticker podcast, Bobby Winters on your debt investors' enduring value, and some tips on how to reach out and what you might learn if you do. Bobby stopped by the post on Friday, January 31st. That was seven weeks and three days before the floor of the New York Stock Exchange was temporarily shut down. What are bondholders not getting and would like to get from IR teams? Well, one of the core messages that you know, feedbacks, um, piece of feedback we got was that they feel often ignored. Companies, the C-suite, don't really focus on um, interacting with them until 
in the minds of those companies, it's absolutely necessary, i.e., they need to do a new issuance or an initial issuance, right, a refinancing uh, of debt, so forth, or even worse, that, you know, they've, they are, um, their businesses run into difficulty. And therefore, in, you know, in those situations, your, your bondholders become, they're always the most senior people in the capital structure. But it's at that time they become a real focus of management team. And so this is, and, and part of the issue or problem from a communication standpoint is if you're only addressing or turning to them, then you don't have any background or history to fall back on. And, you know, part of our takeaway was that, you know, that's, that's not a good place to be, right? You don't want to necessarily have communications with people who are your owners where most of the time you've ignored them only until the time when you most need them. So I think the, the attitude somewhat, and it's not incorrect, is if business is going fine, right, for a company, growing and uh, they're generating growth, generating good income, um, cash flow, free cash flow, and they, their coverage on their debt is, you know, healthy, let's say more than three times covered, multiple times covered, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily have an issue. And so you kind of ignore them. You just assume they're going to be there and they're going to be fine. And there is some truth to that. Um, but one of our takeaways from talking with the debt investors, but also from my own background and our, our belief, is that this is a community, a constituency, where their, their orientation is a little different from equity investors, right? I mean, the, uh, the old adage has been said a lot, but it's true, right? Uh, debt investors are focused on the return of their capital, and an equity investor is focused on the return on their capital, right? And management teams and companies should be focused on getting a high return on the capital. With that said, the debt, the credit investors, the debt of a company is a critical component of the capital structure. As I said earlier, it is the most senior component in the capital structure. And so engaging with them, even if it's not that frequently, of things are going fine, is a good exercise in our opinion. Um, partly because, again, their orientation, their focus is a little different from equity investors typically. As an example, in general, you know, credit investors, debt investors are very focused on the balance sheet, whereas an equity investor is more focused on the income statement. They both tend to both be focused on the cash flow statement. But for the debt investor, it's the cash flow statement and how it, you know, married to the balance sheet. Okay. Whereas the equity investor doesn't not care about the balance sheet, but they're focused on more the, the cash flow statement and the income statement. They're focused on growth. Right. Right. And as long as you're growing fine and doing fine and things are going well and you're doing high return, the reality is, is um, you know, from a fixed income standpoint, probably everything's going to be fine. Um, but in terms of regularly engaging with that community, uh, first of all, they are part of your capital structure if you have debt. And so you should engage with them. Um, I think by and large, companies, CFOs and, and the, the finance function, they they're always tend to be involved and very regularly in contact with their bank group, okay? And that might be their, their non-publicly traded debt. But if they have publicly traded debt, we've found that um, the engagement there often isn't as high. When it gets starts to get elevated, as I said Maybe before... because they don't know who they are, right? It's a little different than equity, right? It's they a little different be- from equity. I, I think they know who they are, meaning they know they exist. They know, uh, I'll give them the credit that they, they probably know 
by and large, who the largest owners of their debt are. First of all, it's not where they're incentivized as a management team, right? In general, the way we incentivize management teams, right, and particularly the C-suite, is we incentivize them with equity, right? You get stock options, forms of compensation there that if you do well, that is the way that you make, um, you know, significant compensation as a uh, CEO, a CFO. We don't incentivize them with giving them, you know, uh, bonds or notes that way. So, um, and again, in general, the management team is focused on growth, is focused on success, right? So, and we do want them focused on that, right? So, or there's a natural orientation that steers them to focus on the equity holders and the equity markets and communicating with them. And that is important, and they should have that focus. But, you know, what we've learned in talking with the, the, the bondholders, you know, we're talking with credit investors, um, and my own background experience is that this other group, you should be in contact with them as well. It probably doesn't need to be as regular um, as the equity, um, assuming things are going well. It's going to end up being really regular and really often if things start going poorly enough and companies end up being in difficult situations. Well, that's just it, yeah. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow in terms of economic conditions, but let's say the stock market tanks, you're going to want to have those bondholders there because who are you going to call? If you can't raise more equity and some virus destroys the, the equity value, you're going to want to go back to your... But the equity is going to bounce around on any given day or news, right? Just because it goes down a bunch or go, goes up a bunch in a given day okay. doesn't necessarily mean that the val that, that the underlying performance of business has changed a lot. It might mean that the market temporarily just has a slightly different outlook and that could either you know be confirmed, meaning it continues on that trend beyond the short term or it reverses. So you know bonds in that sense don't tend to be as yeah, volatile. If we go into a bear market, yep. won't there be more won't debt play a bigger role in, in corporate finance? Could be. It depends on what causes that bear market, right? Yeah, you know, there's a famous adage, right? Uh, I don't even know what the number is right now that, you know, how, how many times the equity market has forecasted a recession yes. when you look back over the last 50 or 60 years. So you can have a, a bear market in stocks. I mean, look at, we, we, we just came shy of a technical definition of a bear market in the fourth quarter of 2018. And you know, the economy did get softer at the end of last year and coming into 2019. But, you know, the economy didn't fall off a cliff. Now, it depends on what, what air segments of the um, economy we're talking about, right? Because really, the industrial side of the economy certainly felt, um, and through part of 2019, like conditions softened a bit, certainly in the energy patch and things like that. So, but just because the equity market goes down, even a bear market territory, doesn't actually mean that the business conditions... Right, that the companies are experiencing and the cash flow that their business is generating have changed. Okay, they might have, they might not have. Right. I mean, if you look at take take a an interesting example. I want to say the reverse of that, and they did report really strong earnings recently. But you know, in the past year, you know, Apple's actual business performance didn't change that much. It's not like the revenue changed a lot. It's not like the earnings changed a lot. Right. But Apple's stock almost doubled. So. The performance, the underlying performance of the business didn't change much. What changed is that in the past 12 months, the market decided to pay 20, close to double the P.E. ratio that it did 12 months earlier. Okay. Okay, now, is that the market indicating that the outlook for Apple is better? It might 
I guess it is, and we'll see if that plays out. But my point is that a fixed income investor ultimately is focused on the underlying business, not that the equity is not, right? But from a, from a performance standpoint, right? In that sense, really nothing changed. Unless they issued more debt or the cost of their debt went up, their coverage ratios largely stayed the same. Okay. Okay? So, in that sense, the, the equity markets could tend to be a lot more emotional at times, usually, than the fixed income markets and, and the performance and the price so of the credit. So, traditionally, they need a little bit more hand-holding throughout these, these uh, volatile times. The equity markets. And, and yeah, I think in the, in the case, it's, it's fair to say, although I don't want to, you know, it's, this is not to kind of um, put one up versus the other yeah. or whatever, is that, you know, yeah, the... the um, there's a, there's a little more dispassion that I would associate with the um, um, the credit markets in that regard and and price movements in them um, versus the equity markets. But then your survey did did uncover a lot of uh, discomfort with how they're being communicated with. Well, I think yes, um, the the discomfort was um, first and foremost is that. The feeling is that they don't tend to be a focus of communication. They tend to get ignored. Um, this is a, a generalization, yeah. but they tend to get ignored until they're needed, until companies are really worried, more worried about right that their their um, the cost of their debt or their they need to refinance the debt um, or around transactions. Stock buybacks, or sure. I don't know, yeah. like you mentioned, acquisitions or something. Just yeah, doing something yeah. with your money that they're not so sure about. Well, acquisitions, they often end up having a, a voice or a role, if that's the right way to put right. it, because usually it's it's not always, it, it may or may not be a component of the capital involved in the transaction, right, to get it done. So a lot of times they will be, have a voice, if that's the right way to put okay. it, at that moment. But, you know, you bring up an important point there on buybacks, right, um, where they often don't have a voice. And that is a concern of theirs. And, um, you know, buybacks, you know, when you look at the history of buybacks in the aggregate across corporate America, looking back decades, it's not a great track record, right? There's, there's too many times, too many examples of where a company, business is going well, they're buying back their stock, then all of a sudden... Cyclical downturn, recession, um, new competitor, new technology, something changes. Business is more difficult. All of a sudden, the, the, the equity value is now well below where all that money was spent maybe in previous years to buy back stock. So that's capital's gone out the door, right? And, and now business is more difficult. And boy, at those moments, you know, it's you know, Monday morning quarterbacking. Boy, I'd like to be able to go back and undo that and get that capital back because I could use it right now. And so, you know, it's at those times, and it, it's not an I told you so moment by the credit because to be having I told you so, I have to have even had, had the occasion to tell you not to do it, right? And so I think the credit investors, you know, the debt income investors, companies like that, um, want to have a regular voice on those things. I don't think they expect to always be. That doesn't mean that they expect that um, their voice would be the, the dominant voice, um, that their opinion would be the one that is listened to. But I think that they, they've got important, often cautionary 
things around those types of capital allocation decisions to remind management teams of, whether it's that own management team's track record or history, or the prior management teams of that same company, or just the history of management teams in general, in terms of capital allocation, when it comes to things like uh, share repurchases, dividends, and so forth. You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, the sound of global investor relations. So, so let's and say you're setting up or you're thinking of setting up an internal debt IR team. My understanding is it's usually done through Treasury or it could be led from the IR department. I guess it should be led from the IR department. Maybe you have a thought on that. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, our, we're not, we don't think that there needs to be a separate dedicated debt IR team probably within any company I mean you get big enough and it you know the amount of debt that's issued and what have not it, it may or may not justify that so I don't want to speak to the to any circumstance um, but you know by and large we don't see any reason that this can't be a core part of the function of you know the finance function within a public company with the CFO the FP&A team on down including an IRO or working with you know companies like ourselves, external IR teams. I mean, one of the things we've been saying for a long time is that the needs, the sophistication of the IR function for any company just keep getting higher. The communicator should be in the IR department or, or should it be? Absolutely. It should be in the finance function. It's the same people who's ever handling IR and equity should also be handling this. Absolutely. Because they're professional communicators that just have to communicate a different message. Well, it's not just that they're professional communicators. What there is, they are part of the financing structure of the community tied to that within a company or its internal extra, yeah. right? And on the internal side, right, this is a core part of their job, as I said already, right? They're already in general engaged in this, right, internally. So they just, it, part of it is, is just... Um, opening the door a little more, opening the communication channel a little bit more, specifically to the public debt market. Um, and what would be a, like a simple sort of first step to do that? Just just have a meeting with some debt investors once a year kind of thing? Is that- it doesn't even have to be a face-to-face, right? It can be simply a semi-regular. Maybe it doesn't even have to be every quarter. It's checking in with them every once in a while. You know, they're, they're going to be following you. They're going to be looking at your filings and following all that. And, and, and some of them, well, first of all, if they ever reach out to you, call them back. That's not even IRA. That's just kind of, you know. IR 101. It's, yeah. it's kind of adult 101, yeah, okay. right, <laughs> in life, right? But so always respond, okay? But I think what our, our view on that is if you have publicly traded debts, yeah, look for creating opportunities to engage with them. Now, that might be adding, you know, one, if, if, if you've, um, you know, it might be deciding to add one debt conference a year or more to take part in, to be more regular in front of that community. Um, maybe not necessarily, but probably not a bad thing. But I think more recruiting is find an opportunity either directly, um, individually or through other means to engage with them, you know, a little bit. Um, get their thoughts and input on your and business you do, plans. You do like, Perception, sort of certain studies. perception studies. Yeah. 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 And so I think that 
it doesn't have to be that often, but it, it's, 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 that's a way for us. And again, to us, perception what studies... what kind of information are you going to uncover with that? Was it, well, per, to us, perception study, I, I like to think of perception studies, um, it's, it's a little bit like, um, I'm going to use a metaphor, not exactly like, it's like a really good paint job in a house. If, it's, if, if the end product's going to be good, 70, 80, 90% of the work is going to occur in leading up to it. Um, it's got to be an engagement with the investors, the equity or the debt. And by the way, because I was one of those for 15 years, they generally don't want to be bothered. Okay. At the time where they're willing to be bothered, it's usually because a company, something's gone wrong. Um, but they, um, they want to have their voices heard. And usually that's by having a direct input to the CEO, CFO. So if you're going to engage in a perception study, it's, it's, it's not the C-suite that's doing it. It's somebody on their behalf. And what I meant by my metaphor before is therefore is to, you know, we are not a big believer in statistical uh, surveys as perception study. You go out and um, talk to them. To us, you need right? to talk directly. And so what I meant before when I talked about the most important work is the lead up to it is you need to create, you need to craft well thought out set of questions on topics that you know are going to be relevant to them. Okay. You need to be very, if you're the, um, whether it's external or the, the, you know, the people that are going to engage in that effort, you need to be very engaged and up to speed knowledgeable about the company about the fundamentals of the company, the industry, and everything that's happened. So that the when you when you get them on the phone, they don't feel like they're talking with some some robot or some young kid who is just there to read some questions on a page. They're gonna hang up. You are not gonna get a useful engagement. So these to us, these for them to be useful the, the firms, the people that do them, have to be very engaged and knowledgeable. Isn't that you? Isn't that right? you personally well, who does it, that? Yes. I mean, so to us, therefore, perception work is actually really hard, right? Because to get really good input from it, you need to do a lot of homework, a lot of upfront work before you ever reach out to those investors, whether it be the equity or the debt. And it's when, when you get them on the phone, trust me, within seconds... 30 seconds or less, right? You can lose them right away. Okay? And so it's by them knowing, by the questions you ask, um, and, and, and the way we do them is it's not just that, well, hopefully well designed questions, is that you're knowledgeable enough that you're not just following the questions, you know, one by one by one. You can't be a robot because the best perception studies that we do with investors very often. The conversation starts off down a path and it goes down another path because you've engaged them. And now they're not just answering the questions that you've designed up front. They're bringing up other things that they've wanted to share. What's the most interesting out of left field kind of thing that you'll, you'll often hear that you'll uncover in a perception study? Well, one of the reasons we think really good perception studies are done by you know firms like ours are external rather than an internal effort from a company is that they they need to know that you you really understand the business and the fundamentals in the industry and are engaged. Um, but it, by being a third party, um, they're willing to give you feedback. Sometimes say some things that maybe they wouldn't directly say. 
like these Joe guys Manager. never talked to us or they did that stock buyback and we're pissed off about that or how yeah. come they're doing, you know. I don't want to say that all the feedback, therefore, if, the, if it's a really interesting perception study is negative, but they might on the margin share some, some information with you that probably if they were directly on the phone with the yeah. CEO, CFO, they may not share directly. And I don't mean to imply that all of that is just 100% negative, right? I just mean that that a well-done one, it's a conversation that ends up can end up being a little different than if they directly had it with the CSO, CEO and CFO. Oh, and by the way, then, you know, we, you know, we then will ultimately share that with the management team and stuff like that. And, and we'll highlight if we think things are delicate, right? Or that. positive. They might say, boy, they did, a, they actually had a, a, you know, invited a whole bunch of us to a kind of an investor day. Absolutely. We really like that. We, right. we think they should do more. Right. And so I don't mean to, I don't mean to suggest that it would therefore, oh, well, really, it's going to be juicy because it's going to be negative. I think it's, if they're well done, is you ask what, where the, com- the conversation can go in different areas. And, and the best ones are where actually where they take us down a road, right, that we didn't necessarily, even though we, we felt like we designed a great perception study from, we designed all these relevant questions. Again, a specific holder, they may, that's where you learn that the certain things that are most important to them. Now, that doesn't mean that it's important to all investors, but they take you down the path that is their path, right? And that's an interesting place to go. Our opinion is it's important to know what they think, right? To have, and for them to have been heard. It's really important in life, in my opinion, in general, and our opinion when it comes to um, IR, for people to be heard. Again, doesn't mean you have to follow right. it. But it makes a big difference when they know they've been hurt. It's a PR exercise, but it's also... It's more than PR. It's It's actually a psychological exercise. Okay? They've been hurt. That's important. And that can matter in the future when you go back to them and you need them for some reason. Right? The fact that they've been listened to in the past, in our opinion, matters. Bobby Winters, thanks for joining us on the ticker today. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. And that's your Ticker Podcast. My thanks to Alpha IR's Bobby Winters. Thank you for listening. Bunkered down in Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. Send us a interbunker message. Reach out. Would it kill you to send a card? Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities.